the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. You're listening to 10048, After the Fall, a celebration of hope, a Lifeline special report. Undoubtedly, the events of September 2001 will go down in the history books as the single most horrific event ever suffered by Americans. Not since the Cuban Missile Crisis or the assassination of President Kennedy have Americans felt such a sense of vulnerability. A majority of Americans, 56%, share the belief that September 11th had a bigger impact on America than any other major event in the last 50 years. A recent Knight Rider poll disclosed that while events such as Watergate, the Vietnam War, and the fall of Soviet communism ranked high, none matched the impact of last September. Lieutenant Colonel Ryan Yantis was there at the Pentagon. He's the public information officer for the United States Army. He's actually from here in Northern California. He was in the sixth quarter of the Pentagon, and the plane struck between the fourth and the fifth. Lieutenant Colonel, what was it like that day? Well, before the attack, it was a fairly normal work day. Uh, we had seen the footage, uh, seen the, the TV, and, and uh, witnessed uh, in that media uh, the attack on the World Trade Center. About uh, that time, we knew that uh, it had shifted, and it wasn't an accident. It was uh, pretty much an attack and, a, and an act of war against our country. There wasn't a great deal of, uh, of panic. As a matter of fact, there wasn't panic. It was people resolved and getting busy trying to figure out what we could do to send to New York because we realized that in that situation there was a, a very strong likelihood that uh, the emergency services of New York would need support from National Guard, Army Reserve, and Active Army uh, for casualties and for recovery. Uh, I was heading to a meeting to talk about what to send to New York uh, when the Pentagon was hit. In actuality, I, there was no physical manis- manifestation that I noted. Uh, there was no nothing that I could hear or feel to, that told me that the building had been struck. And uh, it, it, it was a, almost a surreal moment. Uh, we were told, Pentagon's been attacked, there's been an explosion, evacuate. I think the thing that's probably most prominent in my mind is a female officer came up and said, you know, pretty bluntly, give me your T-shirt. So I stripped off my uh, my uniform blouse and took my T-shirt, and she took it, stuck it under a hose, got it wet, wrapped it around her head, and went back up to where she was in line on the search and rescue team. In case she got back in the building, she just wanted a you know, cold, wet cloth around her head so her hair wouldn't catch on fire. And the salient point in that is she was wearing a skirt and high heels. And, you know, that's just one of those things that I'll probably never forget. Um, saw a great number of people doing that sort of thing. Very common sense, very pragmatic, willing to put themselves at risk um, and trying to help their colleagues, their co-workers, and other people who were in the Pentagon. Personally, um, on many levels and in different ways, um, Greater appreciation for my family, my coworkers. Um, it's reminded me of many things uh, as to why I joined the Army 
and the things that I find important and that, quite frankly, I love about our country. Um, it's also cut away a lot of the chaff and a lot of the um, the issues that are unimportant to the survival of our country uh, and our way of life. If it's if it's not part of our core competency, if it's not part of what makes us Americans and it's frivolous, I don't really have a whole lot of time for it. Um, I've been enjoying a lot of good quality time with my my daughters and my wife, and. I just have to keep that balance of, you know, family and what it is that I do for the Army and our nation. Keep those things in balance. Hear my prayer, O Lord. From the ends of the earth I cry. Your peace will lead me to the rock that is high. You're listening to 10048, After the Fall, a Celebration of Hope, a Lifeline Special Report. 
a beautiful day today. Sunshine throughout. Low humidity. Really a splendid September day. The afternoon temperature about 80 degrees. Great weather for the primary election. Tonight, clear and cool, low 60. It's begun to sound like some sort of a cliche. But really, September 11th started out like every other day. Eight o'clock in the morning. Don't throw the fat away. The day guys were just coming in. I was off that day. Thirteen guys from my firehouse were on. Around 8.30. Engine, matter. I believe the run came in. You get the run for the gas leak or an odor of gas in the street. Right then and there, I knew that this was going to be the worst day of my life as a firefighter. We have a number of floors on fire. It looked like the plane was aiming towards the building. Transmit a third along. We'll have the staging area at Vesey and West Street. It was probably a two-minute ride, but it seemed like it was forever because there was a lot of things going through your head. Everyone was passing, was looking up. Like the world just stopped. We are just currently getting a look at the World Trade Center. We have something that has happened here. Flame and an awful lot of smoke from one of the towers. Whatever has occurred has just occurred uh, within uh, within minutes. And uh, we are trying to determine exactly what that is. As we swung around in front of World Trade, my mind tells me, wow. This is, this is bad. What do we do? What do we do for this? Right away, a guy from the Port Authority told them the damage is somewhere above the 78th floor. All, all the windows were blown out. The lobby looked like the plane hit the lobby. So you knew it was going to be worse when we got upstairs. My main concern was we had, you know, 20 floors of people above. And we had to figure out a way to get them out. As it turned out, we had no usable elevators. With the elevators out, there was only one way to get up there. Walk. Companies come in, you see them with a concerned look on their face, and they're sent up. A firefighter in full gear, carrying 60-something pounds of hose and equipment, takes about a minute to climb one flight of stairs. These guys were looking at 80 stories just to get there. Then they'd start working. I felt the mood that we were going to put the fire out. Everyone seemed to be confident. I know I was. You basically looked at it and said, okay, we got 10, 20 stories of fire. You know, we'll deal with it. We'll get up there. You know, we'll, 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 we'll get to it. I was saying, this is not happening.
both towers of the World Trade Center have been hit by aircraft. Both are in flames. There is uh, black smoke coming from both of the towers. Uh, it's a horrific scene here. There's um, debris flying through the air. Mayday. There were two planes. I saw the second one hit. It hit the other tower. What we knew was that a second plane hit, and we had a lot of people trapped. Stay together. Stay together. We know what's going on. We're just going to have to log in. One way to go. Second plane is going to All right. Now the Chiefs would have to set up a whole other operation over in Tower 2. second plane hit, that's when we could see fear. Most of them are on fire. We could see it in everybody's eye. There were people from all over the world in these streets. Different colors, different languages. On those few blocks between the firehouse and the World Trade Center, the entire world was there. There's two aircraft. Two aircraft. The first one on one World Trade Center. The second one just happened. And they were all looking at the same thing and talking about the same thing and reacting the same way. You saw a plane going
The events of September 11th have now left their indelible mark on the American landscape and psyche. Let us, as Americans all, acknowledge that you have a handsome profile, city of New York. Long ago, you were voted the city most likely to succeed. The 15th generation of Americans salutes you with special regard for your courage and boldness in the face of terror. God bless your police officers and firemen, as well as members of the Port Authority of New York. As we marvel at your giant skyscrapers reaching up to the heavens and your streets winding like ribbons, what really becomes you is clear enough when you stand back and see the hole that once was the World Trade Center. The people of the city are the main design, names and faces but for whom the city becomes just an empty mesa and a chunk of stone, a petrified island of forgotten dividends and empty edifices. It was New York, your unwavering determination one year ago today, that set the example and led the way for us as a people and a nation, a nation united in response to terror bravely, boldly, and courageously. It is now time for us, who have inherited such a great liberty, to defend it and preserve it. Ultimately, our battle is not just waged with weapons fashioned of bullets and bombs, but a spiritual warfare waged in high places. And as a spiritual warfare, we fight with the weapons of truth and God's word, the sword of the Spirit piercing the darkness and delivering light to a lost and dying world. The Spirit of the Sovereign Lord is upon us, because the Lord has anointed us to preach good news to the poor. He has sent us to bind up the brokenhearted, to proclaim freedom for the captives of Islam and release from darkness for prisoners, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor and the day of vengeance of our God, to comfort all who mourn and provide for those who grieve, to bestow upon them a crown of beauty instead of ashes, the oil of gladness instead of mourning, and a garment of praise instead of a spirit of despair. They will be called oaks of righteousness, a planting of the Lord for the display of His splendor. They will rebuild the ruins and restore the places devastated. They will renew the ruined city. For as the soil makes the sprout come up and a garden causes seeds to grow, so the Sovereign Lord will make His righteousness and praise spring up before all nations. As Christians, let us not be deceived. For what a man sows so shall he reap. The darkness that is Islam has displayed for all to see how vain man's attempt at righteousness outside the righteousness that is Christ. If we are to win this war against terrorism, we must first win hearts and minds through the life-changing power of God's Word and the promise of salvation that Christ Jesus offers all who will humble themselves before the throne of grace. God, may you find us faithful in sharing your Word bold in speaking the truth, and dedicated to the cause of Christ in the face of evil, that the world might know. You've been listening to 10048, After the Fall, a Celebration of Hope, a Lifeline Special Report. Our producer is Wanda Sanchez. Production provided by Andy Froilan, Rebecca Greeley, and Dan Hoffman. Our engineer is Tim Romero. For P.J. Oliver, I'm Craig Roberts. Till next time, remember... Don't just keep the faith, share it. And may God bless America.
And now back to Lifeline with Craig Roberts. He is known as the leader of the nation of Islam. He is Louis Farrakhan. Well, some insights into not just Louis Farrakhan, the man, but the nation of Islam, one of the nation's leading experts in this arena. He is an apologist, Dr. Jerry Buckner. Many KFAX listeners know him best as the host of the widely popular Contending for the Faith broadcast, heard Saturday evenings at 7 p.m. right here on KFAX. He is a pastor, counselor, lecturer, as we mentioned, an expert in the arena of cults and most notably the Nation of Islam. And Dr. Buckner, great to have you back on Lifeline. Brother Craig, it's always a blessing to be on your program, and thank you for uh, giving me this opportunity to uh, be a part of the blessing today. You and I first met, my goodness, it's probably upwards of uh, 15, 20 years ago, when uh, Louis Farrakhan at the time, as part of the Nation of Islam, was putting together what was then termed the Million Man March on the Mall in Washington, D.C. And so some folks might be familiar with Louis Farrakhan around the periphery or the Nation of Islam. Before we get into some of the rhetoric, maybe you can start by giving us some perspective on the history of the Nation of Islam. Oh, thank you so much. Well, the, the history of the Nation of Islam started back in the 1930s. There was a leader by the name of Wallace D. Ford who uh, became the incarnation of God, as they say. And he uh, came to Detroit, Michigan, and had a program of uh, hate as well as, uh, you know, dealing with the issues of racism and ministering to the poor people and the poor blacks. And he mentored uh, Elijah Muhammad, who uh, became his protege and follower as well, and then he uh, influenced uh, Malcolm X, who was known as Malcolm Little. And then he influenced uh, Louis Farrakhan. So that's pretty much the history. And again, they started in Detroit in the 1930s and uh, really was based upon uh, using the Quran as well as the Bible. And they said the Bible has been tampered with, and it's uh, correct in as far as it doesn't contradict the Quran. So, but the Nation of Islam is a cult because a cult is defined theologically and sociologically. Theologically, it simply means anyone who denies that Jesus Christ is God in human form. And it's a cult uh, sociologically when it uh, separates people from their families, uh, their finances, their uh, friends uh, who are Christians. And it just starts to dominate them theologically and uh, sociologically. So the Nation of Islam is a cult because they deny that Jesus Christ is God in human form and the only Savior of the world. And they basically say that uh, Wallace D. Ford is the incarnation of, uh, of uh, God in, on the earth at that time. And, so, and Wallace D. Ford was actually a white man who uh, really came forth as... Uh, uh, ministering to the black community at the time of the Depression, when a lot of uh, blacks were looking for a sense of hope, and the church was missing. And this is the thing that's happening today. The church is missing. The thing that is going on today at Berkeley is the results of uh, the failure of the church to do its job. And when you see uh, Farrakhan coming into the community and speaking at churches and speaking at the University of Berkeley uh, upcoming event, it, it really, you know, we look at the Jews and we say, man, it's great that uh, someone is stepping up to the plate and speaking up. But it should be the churches in the, 
the Berkeley area and the whole Bay Area coming together and saying we're not going to stand for this, a guy who's coming into the community who uh, perpetuates not only a racism but says that uh, the white man is the devil and goes forth to say negative things and racist things about Jews. And so we're, we're not against at all, uh, you know, free speech and, you know, schools are built upon that where they talk about and help the students to learn about uh, open differences and opinions and whether it's related to politics, religion, or philosophy, or psychology and science and debates. But when free speech carries with it hate and it carries with it separatism, which the Nation of Islam teaches, then someone has to step up, and that should be the church. And because the church has felt to do it, it's a problem. And one other note, uh, Craig, I want to say that uh, there is no difference between bringing in the Ku Klux Klan, you know, and bringing in uh, Louis Farrakhan, because they both teach hate, they both teach separatism, and they both teach uh, superiority of their own race. So we really got a serious problem here. I'm curious, looking at some of the history, particularly from a theological standpoint of the teachings of the Nation of Islam, Dr. Buckner, it almost seems like it, it, it's a bit of a hybrid of some aspects, for convenience sake, of Christianity, some aspects more so for convenience sake of the teachings of Islam. And then there's this weird dynamic in here that, for example, you don't find this in any of the, the five pillars of the faith, so-called, with Islam, but it certainly is very apparent within the teaching of the nation of Islam that talks about at one time the earth and moon being the same, and this was created by a mad scientist of the sky. Explain to us a little bit about some of the theology behind this religion. Yes, well, this that's very true. There, um, The nation of Islam is basically a religion based upon people looking for a sense of identity and belonging, and because the church has not developed a sense of addressing racism and dealing with the issues of a sense of belonging and identity, uh, the, the Nation of Islam, and especially Louis Farrakhan, has come forth with this sort of thing. But uh, the teachings of the Nation of Islam is based upon uh, solely and wholly upon a teaching of the Yaqub myth. And it's a basic teaching in their belief system is that Yaqub Yaqub was one of the council of 24 black uh, scientists. And he rebelled against Allah and the council causing havoc. And he created the white race as a race of devils to strike back at the black race. And Elijah Muhammad said that the black people are not sinners, but that the white man is at fault for their problems. So this whole Yaqub myth was a thing that the Nation of Islam started to develop, because once you uh, destroy the belief in the validity and historicity and authenticity of the Bible, which it says God created man in his image and in his likeness, you have to come up with something else like some type of myth, and this is what they came up with. And it's just uh, ludicrous, but also it's demonic and it's an abominable when you think about it. This has also been used as a strong means to, as we suggested in our introductory remarks this afternoon, Dr. Buckner, to, to drive a very strong wedge between the races. Educate us, if you would, a little bit of, of some of the nature of the teachings 
of the nation of Islam, where perhaps in a post-environment following many of the laws that we saw of, of separation of blacks and whites on the heels of the Emancipation Proclamation of the late 1800s, um, this seems to be a religion that very much teaches continuance of separation of the races, does it not? Yes, it does. Uh, the problem with the nation of Islam, like all racist groups, they uh, build their whole foundation upon uh, emphasizing uh, race over grace. They emphasize uh, physical pigmentation over biblical revelation. They emphasize the issue of skin over sin. And the only color that God is concerned about, that the Bible talks about, is the color red, and that's the blood of Christ that cleanses us from all our sins. And the only race that God really emphasizes is uh, running the race of faith. And so when it comes to the nation of Islam, because of this Yaqub myth that was uh, the foundation of their teaching, they have to live with that uh, damnable teaching. And so they're stuck with it, and they have to say that the blacks are uh, you know, superior to the white man and that the white man is the devil and the Jews are you know, the workers of Satan and that sort of thing. Uh, as well, you know, one time I was on Issues Etc., and they uh, interviewed me, and then about five or six uh, members of the Nation of Islam uh, came on the air, and, and I was letting them know that, you know, uh, the Bible teaches against racism. It teaches against separatism. It teaches against the Yaakov myth, and on and on and on. And then I also told them that, you know, the only way that we are going to get into the kingdom of God it's to be a people that love our enemies and pray for them that despitefully use us. If we don't do that, then Jesus said through John, if we hate our brothers, there is no eternal life in us. So it's a dangerous thing to hate one another, and as well as to separate yourself from one another, because the Bible says you cannot enter into the kingdom of God hating your brother. If you've just joined our conversation on this edition of Lifeline, a visit with Dr. Jerry Buckner. He's a well-known Bay Area apologist and also host of Contending for the Faith, heard Saturday evenings at 7 p.m. right here on KFAX. When we come back, understanding more about the teachings of Islam and just to whom does this message resonate? I'm Craig Roberts, back with more as this edition of Lifeline continues. Get you an update on traffic. Michael Bennett in the KFAX Traffic Center. Michael? And now back to Lifeline with Craig Roberts. Welcome back to the conversation. If you've tuned in a bit late, we're visiting, of course, with a familiar voice here on KFAX. He is Dr. Jerry Buckner. He hosts the wildly popular Contending for the Faith broadcast Saturday evenings at 7 p.m. right here on KFAX. Great destination point to tune in. He is one of the nation's leading Christian apologists and has been gracious enough to join us today to offer us some insights on Dr. Louis Farrakhan and the Nation of Islam. Dr. Buckner, before the break, you were articulating part of the understanding of the appeal, the attraction of the nation of Islam, is this notion that, number one, it's a bit of a hybrid of religion, so people that are thoroughly ignorant of the fundamental teachings of the Christian faith might easily or quite readily be be pulled into this vortex of his teaching, because he will quite liberally quote from Scripture, almost leading you to believe that this guy knows, from a theological standpoint, what he's talking about. But then, too, I have to wonder, when you, when you see statements like this, here's a quote from Representative John Conyers of Michigan, member of the House of Representatives, defending 
Louis Farrakhan, saying, quote, I'm honored to join this distinguished leader who gives us hope and understanding to people all over the world of every color, of every religion, and of every political belief, close quote. Now, if that be the case, why is it that we have quotes from Louis Farrakhan where he refers to Jewish people as devils and demons uh, and, and in every foul fashion demonizes people of the Jewish faith. That hardly seems to be in harmony with the notion that he gives hope and understanding to people, quote, of every religion, close quote. That is so true. Um, I think that what happens with so many people, Craig, is that uh, they are into their uh, positions uh, because people have put them there. And it's kind of like a parallel to uh, Pilate you know, he gave in because he was a people's person, you know, and he didn't want to rock the boat, and so he was a puppet by the people, and because he was run more by the politics and of the day and, and the red tape. And so we got people who were educators and politicians and even people in churches today who don't want to rock the boat. And Dr. Walter Martin said it so eloquently, he says, the church today suffers from an endemic disease known in the Latin as non rockabotus ecclesiasticus. <laughs> and <laughs> that's a long word. And that's translated in English to don't rock the boat. And Walter Martin used to say, I don't just want to rock the boat, I want to sink it for Jesus Christ. And that's the way I am as well, being mentored under such a great mind. But this is the thing that People are living, we're living in a day and age, as Paul talked about uh, to Timothy as a young minister in Second Timothy chapter 4, the time will come when they will not endure sound doctrine, but after their own lust shall they heap to themselves teachers who will tickle their ears, and the truth of God shall be made into mythology. So we're living in a day and age where people don't want to lose their positions like Pilate, Pontius Pilate, they don't, they don't want to rock the boat. They're tickling people's ears because they want to be re-voted again. And I think they lack not only uh, biblical uh, essentials, but they lack discernment, and they want black unity. And whatever that costs, they're going to do it because, like I said at the beginning of the show, in the, in the large segment of the black community, and it's sad to say, I'm an African-American myself, but it's sad to say I've seen this, and it makes me almost puke that the name of God is B-L-A-C-K. And there is also a, uh, a black African-American Bible that's out now. I have it in my library, and it, put, it puts everybody in the Bible from Adam to John, you know, uh, Adam in the Garden of Eden, to John uh, in the book of Revelation, and even God and Jesus Christ is black because we're moving more towards being involved with blackness than, you know, the Word of God. And that's just not only uh, makes a person sick, but then who really loves the Lord and loves the Word of God, but it uh, is something that we got to stand up against, Craig. Right, and, and toward that end, help me understand something here. Given how readily available some of the outlandish remarks and comments that Farrakhan has made, not just at these so-called Savior Day events that he hosts annually back in Chicago, but amply across television, anytime a microphone seems to be in front of him, he has something over the top to say. And the degree of, of the visiveness and, and, the, and the horrificness of the, of the, the uh, racially charged comments that he makes, 
it would seem to me, Dr. Buckner, that inviting somebody like Farrakhan out to speak at UC Berkeley would be like suggesting that we need to hire uh, David Duke, the former Grand Wizard of the Ku Klux Klan, to come out and, and give a speech on race relations. Why does this seem to be so out of context or inappropriate? Yes, it, it's, it's a good point. Well, what has happened, Craig, is this, and I've followed uh, Louis Farrakhan closely. What he has done within the last, uh, I would say, uh, four or five years or so, especially after he had the prostate uh, cancer problem, uh, he has uh, toned down a little bit, and he's become he's become more eclectic and syncretistic, where he realizes that the only way that I'm going to get into the black community is to become eclectic and syncretistic and to blend in, and so i got to tone down my rhetoric, my hateful rhetoric. So he comes in and he quotes the, some of the Bible to get black people excited, and then he plays on their emotions, but he's downplayed a lot of the things that he said in the past. And so he goes forth before people, and a lot of people in churches, and uh, he starts to talking in an eclectic, syncretistic way. And so they're buying into this, but Really, underneath it all, Farrakhan has not changed those historic views and those things he's said. He's just toning down because his game plan is to get into the black student union with ignorant black people, to get into black churches with ignorant black people, to get into the black community with ignorant black people. He preys on ignorance, and he goes into it with a soft tone involved in what he's doing because he knows that he has to be very careful now. This is one of the reasons why, before Khalil Abdul-Muhammad was uh, ounced out of the movement, and of course he died of an aneurysm a while back, but he shut down Khalil Abdul-Muhammad because of the fact that he felt that he was kind of like being more uh, too racist at what he was doing. But Khalil Abdul-Muhammad was saying, wait a minute now, this is the way we've always been. We've always been strong at our, uh, at our views of the white man and the Jews, but he was blown away because he sees that Farrakhan has changed because he's trying to tone down. It's not that he's changed where he's literally changed his views. He's just changed and toned it down because he wants to get into the segments of society to brainwash them to become members of the Nation of Islam. And, and sadly, it seems as if, to the greatest degree, you, you've used, Dr. Buckner, the word ignorance several times. Uh, it seems to be that, to the greatest degree, the group of people um, to which he is uh, the most appealing are those who are biblically illiterate, who do not understand the fundamental teachings of Christianity, uh, who are easily swayed by some of the, the clever talk and the appearance, kind of the glossing over of what seems to be kind of, again, this hybrid of Islam and Christianity together, of which we know there can be no such thing. And as a result, even the likes of J. Alfred Smith uh, buys into all of this, suddenly seeming as if we're all on the same page together, when in fact anything could be farther from the truth. Oh, that's so true. It's so sad that uh, I know that Jeff Smith and... I have had some collisions in many other areas, but uh, some of the listeners may not know this, but they had a fun- they had the allowed the funeral of Yusuf Bay to take place at the Allen Temple Church, and I had uh, one of my friends had a chance to go there, and he reported back to me when he was there, and they had a picture of uh, Yusuf Bay on the wall, and uh, giving him uh, 
respect and homage and saying he's a great leader. And this guy was just a split image of Elijah Muhammad duplicating his, his teaching, but also taking advantage of 13- and 12-year-old girls, impregnating them. And how in the world could you, a person, allow somebody like a Yusuf Bey to come into, uh, uh, to be uh, funeralized in his church and have pictures up of him uh, praising him for stuff that he did? Well, and here's a guy who, who died while in prison on a felony conviction of a multiple counts of child molestation. We know ultimately of what happened to uh, your Muslim bakery in Oakland and in Richmond and the whole situation there imploding um, with uh, with the death of a well-known Bay Area reporter. And, and in the end, Dr. Buckner, I'm reminded of a simple yet very profound um, statement, and that is that light and darkness cannot dwell together. And there is a sad case of an attempt to try and make that happen. Well, that's so true. And the scriptures is very clear about that, Craig, and and, and Jesus uh, said, either you are for me or against me. And we got to stand either on Jesus' side or the side of the nation of Islam, because the nation of Islam is eclectic, as you said earlier, and they even uh, bring into their teaching some of the stuff of the Jehovah's Witnesses. But Jesus said, how can two, uh, you know, uh, be together? Uh, you know, they cannot stand together. A house divided against itself cannot stand. And then Amos tells us, in Amos 3 and 3, uh, how can two walk together unless they agree? And then Paul makes it very clear in 1 Corinthians 15, bad company corrupts good morals. And the judgment of God upon the nation of Israel in the Old Testament over and over and over is when they compromise. And this is a real wake-up call that I want to say to churches that may be listening to this program tonight, uh, that any time we sell out, like the children of Israel did, to the out uh, company people, the people that were outside of the company of, of Israel, and they started to worship their gods, and they started to associate with them. What it brought upon them was the judgment of God, and so we dare not go there, because if we do, and we compromise, and we sell out, the judgment of God will come upon us just like it did the children of Israel. Dr. Jerry Buckner, host of Contending for the Faith, is broadcast again Saturday evenings at 7 p.m. right here on KFAX. Well, that's going to do it for this edition of Lifeline. Thanks so much for being with us. And if there was anything you heard on today's show that you'd like to hear again or share with a friend, grab a copy of the Lifeline podcast. Simply log on to kfax.com. That's kfax.com for the Lifeline podcast. Our producer is Wanda Sanchez. I'm Craig Roberts. Till next time round, remember, just don't keep the faith. Get out there and share it and make it a great evening. So long. Opinions expressed in the preceding program do not necessarily represent the views of the ownership, staff, or management of KFAX. Copyright Salem Communications, all rights reserved. Three-star general, Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. 
The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal record to the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.